Welcome to Old Walls House. It's your main man and host, Old Walls, back with you again this week. Got a fun show coming up this week. Going to do a little bit of a Super Bowl preview. Have a special guest to help us with a little bit of Super Bowl betting. Going to touch on our Flyers, of course. Not much happening this week as they're on the All-Star break. We still touch on it. Had a fun uh, tournament, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And just, you know, Duke-UNC happened this weekend. Not the uh, best result for this UNC fan. And then, as always, we will have my passing thoughts for the week. But again, before we get going, as always, we're going to touch on that housekeeping. Thank you so much for coming back and listening again, guys. I appreciate you doing it. It's been, uh, like I said, it, I'm going to continue to say it. This has been fun. I hope you guys are having fun listening with me. If you could just please rate, review, comment, subscribe, share, whatever you can do to to get the, the word out there. I very much appreciate it. And again, thank you so much. On, uh, on the t-shirt front, got the t-shirts all ready to go. It looks like there'll be $18 that will be the cost and the shipping. Not making any money on this. Just want to get some t-shirts and get them out to you guys if you're interested. Would love it if you do. If you don't, no hard feelings. Just keep listening, hopefully. So let's, uh, let's get into it. So let's get started. On to the big one. The big game. The NFL Super Bowl. I hope I can say that. Not really sure, but we're going to say it anyway. The Super Bowl. We have the Cincinnati Bengals going to the home of the LA Rams. The Rams will be the second consecutive team to host the Super Bowl in their own building. <clears throat> so, we open uh, we open this game up. The line now is Rams minus 4.5 and, and the over-under at 48.5. Just quickly, I'll touch on this more in our betting segment, but I do like the Rams to win and cover, and I like the under. So I was, just, I was taking a look at, at kind of the, the stats from these teams from this offseason, or sorry, this postseason, and, and what I noted, and I, I wrote down the ones that jumped out to me. If you compare their offenses, the Rams have been averaging 409 yards per game, 28 points per game, and have been converting on 50% of their third downs, 21 of 42 in this playoffs. The Bengals, 368 yards per game, 24 points per game, and converting on 48.78% of their third downs. That's 20 of 41. So third downs pretty similar, scoring close to the same amount of points, but the Rams are definitely picking up more yards, picking up uh, just about you know 50 more yards or sorry, 40 more yards than the Bengals. So a little something to note, not too much difference there. Where you start to see some kind of glaring differences is the Rams are allowing 286 yards, while the Bengals are allowing 395 yards a game. So that that's pretty big. Rams under 300, Bengals almost allowing 400. Bengals, though, playing kind of that bend-don't-break defense, giving up just 19.7 points a game. The Rams, 18.3. And this, this is the one that really jumped out to me, though. The Bengals are allowing third-down conversions 39.47% of the time, 15 of 38. The Rams have only allowed six third-down conversions this postseason. They've allowed six of 32. That's just 18.75%. So definitely something to keep an eye on. 
Both teams offensively have been picking up about the same, but the Rams' defense has barely let up a third-down conversion. So that'll be something to keep an eye on if the Bengals need to start picking up third downs to keep drives alive, get in scoring position. Will they be able to do that? And while all those stats kind of lean towards the Rams there, the Bengals' redeeming quality is the fact that they are plus five in the turnover margin in this offseason. Postseason, I keep saying offseason there. Sorry about that, people. But yeah, Bengals plus five in the turnover margin this postseason. The Rams an even zero. So the question is going to be, can the Bengals make up for their other deficiencies with turnovers? And can they cause enough turnovers to help make up if they can't pick up those third downs, if they're getting out gained, if they're allowing more yards on defense? So that'll be really interesting to watch. We also have two First-time starters in the Super Bowl, both making their first Super Bowl appearance. Obviously, Burrow being the much younger, Stafford well into his NFL career. How do those guys compare? Stafford completing 72% of his passes, 313 yards a game, six touchdowns to just one interception, and he's been sacked five times. Burrow completing a little bit less, 68%, 290 yards, four TDs, two interceptions, and the glaring stat here is he's been sacked 12 times. And I think that that could really present a problem. I've mentioned both the Bengals' offensive line has been kind of subject, as well as Burrow maybe sometimes not getting rid of the ball quick enough, holding on to it a little bit too long. They're going to be put to the test. you got Aaron Donald and Von Miller on the other side of that ball, and the rest of the, the Rams' front seven is pretty good too so I would imagine they get into the backfield they disrupt Burrow they're gonna they're gonna cause some problems and can Joe Burrow hang hang on get get move out of the pocket move up in the pocket find ways to you know check it down find a second receiver have enough time and then get rid of the ball if he can't get a completion because he can't be getting sacked nine times like he was a couple weeks ago so something to watch there as I've kind of pointed out, most of the stats here lean towards the side of the Rams. And as I mentioned, I'm I'm on the Rams side. I would love to see the Bengals do it. I think it'd be a cool story. I'd love to see Joe Burrow get that win. But everything is telling me the Rams to win, the Rams to cover. They're playing at home. It just seems like this is going to be the Rams' year to win the Super Bowl. But that's why they play the games. If it was all on paper, the, the Bengals would have been kicked out a long time ago. So... You play the game for a reason, and I'm looking forward to this game. And we'll uh, we'll have to see how everything goes down when the when the ball's in the air. But again, I like the Rams to win. I like the Rams to cover, and I like the under. And we'll get more into all the bettings and prop bets and everything else coming up next. Okay, on to our Super Bowl betting portion of the show, and we welcome in ourselves a special guest here today, a man known simply by one name, and that name is Daddy. Daddy, welcome to the show, buddy. How you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Walls. All right. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, we're going to get right into it. We're going to jump right into the Super Bowl. We're going to first start with the line and the over-under. You being a known degenerate is why I wanted to bring you on today. So uh, let's start there. What do you like? We got Rams minus four and a half and an over-under of 48 and a half at my last check. What do you like there? Yeah, so I'm going to hit this one from both sides. Like you said, with the total, I'm taking the Rams minus the four and a half. Um, I like what they're doing on both sides of the ball. I think defensively, they're just going to be too much for Joe Burrow. Um, Not that Burrow's going to play a bad game. I just think the Rams defensive line uh, will be able to get to him enough 
to kind of slow them down on offense. So I like the Rams minus four and a half. I agree with you there. I, I said a little bit ago that I do too like the Rams at minus four and a half. A lot of the stats point that the Rams are just playing better football outside of a couple of metrics. So I'm going to roll with you. I like Rams minus four and a half. What do you like for the over under 48 and a half of what I'm seeing it at now that has come down a little bit from the opening line already. Yeah. I'm on the under at 48 and a half. Um, If it goes any lower than that, maybe you go to the over at 47 and a half, but I'm on under 48 and a half. Um, I like what both defenses do. Like I said, I think Donald Vaughn Miller, Leonard Floyd, those guys get to burrow uh, to slow down that Bengals offense. And then on the other side of the ball, I think the Bengals can do a good job of, of slowing down the Rams enough um, to kind of keep them in the game. We're in another agreement here. My reasoning is I don't think the Bengals put up more than 13 or so points. Then you'd have to get the, the Rams really scoring. They'd have to score 36 or more points to hit that over. I think the Bengals defense, like you said, has been – they've given up some yards, but they do have a plus-five turnover margin, as, again, I mentioned earlier in the show. And the Rams, like you said, that front line with Von Miller and Aaron Donald especially, they're going to get into the backfield, I think. The Bengals' offensive line has been subject at best this this playoff. So, again, we're in agreement. I don't like that we're in agreement so much, so <laughs> – why don't we get into some prop bets and get into the craziness here and see what uh, see what we like there? And I'll just kind of let you rip, and, and you can either rip them all out or you can kind of break them down one by one, and we'll kind of go with that as we go. All right, yeah, we got a full list of props. <clears throat> um, we'll start with the fun ones. Obviously, we'll go with the coin toss. We have to bet that. Um, I'm taking tails for the coin toss. Obviously, tails never fails, but it's been heads three out of the last four years. I uh, kind of feel like tails is due. Tails is due is one of my favorite reasonings to bet anything. So while I do like heads, because I always bet heads, you're probably going to be the the correct person in this little showdown. So he likes tails. Uh, The next one I have is the national anthem. Um, That's been a a hot one the last few years. This year, the over-under I've been reading on is one minute and 35 seconds. Um, Mickey Guyton will be singing the national anthem this year. Um, from the research I've done, she's very quick with her national anthems. Uh, the last two that have been documented were a minute 21 and a minute 31. Uh, so I'm going to take the under on a minute and 35 for that. Yeah, I know nothing about Mickey Guyton. I don't know who she is. When I looked up who was singing the national anthem, that was the first time I've heard of her. I have found out that I'm very out of the loop on the pop culture things nowadays. So your stats uh, seem to back up that the under is the correct correct play here but you never know the bright lights of the super bowl they may want to show it off a little bit so while i think mm-hmm. the under is a solid bet i would be careful there and watch out for the over right as long as she doesn't drag out the brave at the end i think we'll be okay yeah the with the with a little bit of a roof on top of the building you gotta hope that maybe she doesn't drag it out and hopes to you know stay with the flyby um i would assume there's Okay, so we got the anthem down. What do you like next? Uh, next, everyone likes to do the, the Gatorade for the winner. Um, I'm taking yellow. No rhyme or reason for it. Just kind of a hunch, I guess, I'm going to go off of. What do we have for odds on yellow? Is there any is there any color playing better odds than another? Uh, I didn't research odds, truthfully, honest. I just am taking a shot <laughs> in the dark. Joe Burrow, LSU guy, yellow color. Rams, they have yellow in their team, so why not? I like the tying it into the colors. I think blue is probably the best bet. 
I think blue is probably the, the favorite Gatorade color. But look out for the original orange. I feel like you see that quite a bit too. So we do have a our first kind of full difference there. So that's a start. What what else you got, Daddy? Uh, next, we'll dive into some receiving props. Uh, first one I'm taking is Joe Mixon over 25 and a half receiving yards. Um, then I'll go with two more here: Samaje Pirine over 13 and a half receiving yards, and Pirine over one and a half catches. Um, reason I'm taking these is, like I said earlier, I, I think the Rams' defensive line will be able to kind of chew through the, the Bengals' offensive line. Um, which tells me it's going to lead to a lot of dump-offs from Burrow. P. Ryan in the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs, three catches for 43 yards. Um, so I could see him easily hitting that one and a half and going over that, and same with the receiving yards for both of those running backs. I like P. Ryan. I don't think we'll see him both hit the over. I think P. Ryan will. I think he kind of plays that role a little bit more, but I do think you're right. But they're going to get a lot of pressure into the backfield and really kind of get into the uh, get into the backfield of the Bengals and force Burrow to check down. So, like where your head's at, I only like P. Ryan, not Mixon there. Okay. Um, next on the list is Odell Beckham Jr. OBJ. I have him over sixty-three and a half receiving yards. Um, I've rode with him every week in the playoffs for a receiving yard prop. He's hit them all um, in the playoffs. He's averaging seventy-eight yards per game. Um, again, I, I like the over 63.5 there. I think we'll get that. Again, I have to agree with you. I think the Rams have made a concerted effort to target OBJ, especially in these playoffs, but ever since he's been on the team. I noticed it as a Cooper Cup fantasy owner that OBJ was taking up a lot of the yards. So, again, I like this pick here with you. I don't know if it says anything good or bad about your picks that I'm jumping on a lot of them. Probably not a good thing for you. No, I'm thinking we're going to lose all of these. But the next two I have, again, two more receiving props. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. over five and a half catches and Cooper Cup over eight and a half catches. Um, in the playoffs, Odell's averaging six catches per game. And Cup has eclipsed the eight and a half catch mark 11 times this season. Uh, the Bengals are just terrible at defending the slot. And as, as we all know, Cooper Cup is probably the best in the game in the slot. Uh, so I look for both of those guys to have big days. I'm more apt to jump on with you on the Cooper Cup. I think OBJ could pick up some bigger yardage. Like you said, Cooper Cup is a dude who fills the stat sheet in the catches column. They find him a lot. They find him on little out patterns. They find him on little wide receiver screens. Find him across the slot. So I like over on Cooper Cup, and I will take the under on OBJ. I think he gets a couple of bigger yardage catches, but not as many. All right, so we'll differ there. Um, last prop total for yardage. Uh, this is a rushing one. I have Joe Mixon under 63.5 rushing yards. Um, I, I think the Bengals are going to have to throw a little more than they probably want to to stay in the game, and the Rams allow the fifth lowest rushing yards per game in the league this year. So Joe Mixon under 63.5 rush yards. Like it, like it. So is that your last one? Uh, I have two more. Okay. Um, these are kind of just shot in the dark. Uh, decent odds on them. Um, the first one's going to be the total field goals for the game made. I have over three and a half. It's at plus odds. Um, I think both teams can move the ball fairly well. I think they can stall out towards the red zone, though. So that makes me think minimum four field goals in the game. Okay. I, again, I, I like that. Unfortunately, I like that because, like I've mentioned, the Bengals give up a lot of yards in this playoffs, but they've, they're still giving up under 20 points, 
And again, turnover margin of five or more. So they, they kind of play that bend, don't break defense. So I, I will agree with you that that's a, a decent little bet to look at. And the last bet I have, again, real shot in the dark here, super long odds. I uh, found this one on FanDuel today. T. Higgins to score the first Dutch, first touchdown of the game, followed by Odell Beckham to score the second touchdown. Uh, that's going off at plus 10,000. Um, so I think that's worth maybe a little sprinkle. You got to sprinkle on the plus 10,000 if you can get it. That sounds actually not ridiculous. That wouldn't be right. the most in- incredible set of, scenario- set of things to happen. So uh, I do like the sprinkle. I had a couple of them here that I like to toss in. I like team to call the first time out. I like Cincinnati to do that. I think you're more apt to see Burrow maybe get a little bit flustered. I know first time for both QBs in the Super Bowl, but Stafford is a, a seasoned vet. So I like first team to call a timeout of Cincinnati. That's just minus 110. You're obviously just going one or the other there. I also like team to score the longest field goal of Cincinnati as well. Rams have a little bit more of the go for it on fourth down in them than I think the Bengals do. So and the, the Bengals kicker has just been absolute nails this year in the playoffs. So Cincinnati to call the first timeout and Cincinnati to score the longest field goal. Yeah, I, I'm with you on both of those. McPherson's been a stud for the Bengals. Um, I think I read today, I think he's, he's three field goals shy of setting the um, NFL postseason record for most field goals in the postseason. So be sweet to see him get that. And then my last bet that I have that – to sprinkle on here, I have the Rams to win by 7-12. to 12. That goes off at plus 380 right now, so I think that's definitely worth a sprinkle. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the Rams win by a touchdown 7-10 to 10 points. I think that's where this game could end up. I think the Bengals can keep it close, but never really be in it and never really get blown out. I think we're going to be on kind of the edge of having a good game this whole, this whole Super Bowl, but it's never really going to break out into a great game. Yeah, I, I can agree with you on that. Um, like I said, I think the Rams win it by a touchdown. I don't think it's ever drastically you know, close for up, throughout the game, but I, th- I like the Rams by seven. Perfect. We agree way too much. So like you said, we are going to get smoked, people. Fade the picks. Daddy, before we let you go, anything else? Any other action you got going on? Anything college hoops or – the NBA or anything else lean this week, or are you saving it all up for the Super Bowl on Sunday? No, we're going to take it take it easy this week. Save it all for Sunday. Love it, love it. You gotta you gotta go go where the money is, and this week the money is on the Super Bowl. Daddy, thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully, we'll have you back on again soon. All right, thanks, Wallace. Have a good one. Take it easy, brother. So now that we've wrapped up the Super Bowl talk, let's move. Off the gridiron and out to the golf course. We had the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am this week. Uh, This is an interesting golf tournament. They play the golf tournament over three different courses. Obviously, it's a Pro-Am, so there's a large amateur contingent. It makes for some slow rounds. And it makes the the viewing on Thursday, Friday, Saturday kind of choppy because you got people playing all different golf courses. They're really highlighting a lot of the celebrities and amateurs playing with them. And you get a wide range of them, so it's kind of cool to see who plays, but it's not really my viewing preference for all that. So I do, I watched a little bit on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not a whole lot. Tuned in for a majority, pretty much all of Sunday, all the Sunday broadcasts on CBS. Didn't catch anything before that. I think they're on their fifth hole when it started. So it was a fun tournament. Your winner, Tom Hoagie, he posts rounds of 63 at Pebble Beach. 
then 69 at Monterey, 68 at Spyglass, and then a 68 final round Sunday, 68. We went 36-32 on the back nine. Not your typical round at Pebble. You usually see people kind of go low on the, the first nine, get uh, get kind of racked up in the first seven holes, and then kind of coast in. But he, he finished with a... He finished with some strength, and he is your winner. First-time winner on the PGA Tour, Tom Hoagie. The golden child, Jordan Spieth, finished second. He was going for some history of his own here in this tournament. After the second round, he was 11 back after 36 holes. Had he won, that would have been the largest 36-hole comeback on the PGA Tour in over 15 years. So that would have been really cool to see. He just wasn't able to hold on to it. He does seem to have kind of his game put back together a little bit. Um, so it will be interesting to see how he rounds in the form this year. Got to think he's a threat at the Masters if he can kind of figure it out here this week, or if he can kind of keep what he figured out here this week going. So, like I said, it was a fun Sunday. There were a lot of guys in the mix. Andrew Putnam was hanging around. He was there until he made back-to-back bogeys on 13 and 14. Troy Merritt. He was using a yes putter, by the way. Haven't seen one of those in I don't know how long. So Troy Merritt with the yes putter was in it until he three-wiggled 17. He got off to a real hot start out front. I believe he birdied four holes in a row at one point. But after he three-wiggled 17 for double, he ended up falling two back of Spieth at the time, and then he was kind of out of it. Joel Damon was in contention again, but he makes back-to-back bogeys on 14 and 15. Patrick Cantlay was there this week again. It didn't have a, his best stuff on Sunday, but again, Patrick Cantlay, my pick to win a major this year. I'm going to have to kind of narrow that down and give you which major I think he'll win. I don't think I can just kind of say he's winning a major. I'm going to, I'll get to it and figure out which one I think he's going to win. But after all that, the, the, the kind of the big moment was Spieth on the 17T, Tom Hoagie's back in the fairway on 16, and Spieth hits one, lands in the front bunker. The mics catching him say he hit that the best shot he hit all weekend. Just they made a wrong, they made a wrong calculation, and it looked like he was talking about that he kind of mis miscalculated the wind. So he ends up in the front bunker on seventeen, and then Tom Hoagie hits it to about an inch on sixteen. Starts it out right. That whole green feeds back into the to the left when you're looking at the looking at it from the fairway from the TV angle. Everything lands on the left and funnels right. Almost goes in for a two, but has a, just a kick in. And he makes birdie. Spieth does not get up and down. We have a little flipperoo. Spieth drops back. Hoagie jumps to the top and takes the lead. And then Hoagie hits another great one on 17. It looked better, maybe 8, 10 feet. He makes that, takes the lead, expands the lead for good, and goes on to win it's after Spieth couldn't quite hold it together going down the stretch. So a big first win for Tom Hoagie. He's a guy who's kind of been around. And you always kind of see his name pop up, but he's never been able to get it done. This week, some great stats, strength gain. He was 2.63 stroke strength gain putting, 2.00 approach, and 3.08 tee to green strength strokes gain. So uh, a very solid week from him. One thing that was a little bit surprising, you always kind of think of Spieth as a, a wild driver of the golf ball. He had the best uh, strokes gained off the tee in the top 10. So, pretty interesting. If he can kind of keep the driver figured out, he usually hits his irons very well. And then just if he gets in one of those streaks where he's making putts, he's a tough guy to contend with. Uh, Spieth did have the moment on Saturday. I saw this on replay where he hit it right to the edge on number eight. 
and had was kind of sitting on the downhill almost where that big drop off a cliff is. So that was a, a really cool shot from overhead. They may have played it up just a hair. And uh, he said he like feared for his life and wish he wouldn't have done it. I think he was okay. It looked like he still had enough space. He took a good wide stance and w was safe enough. I wouldn't want to hang out there. I'm a, not much of a fan of heights myself. And I wouldn't be too thrilled to have to hit that shot myself. So that was pretty interesting. Uh, a couple other things from the weekend in golf. There was a Jonathan Bird sighting at Pebble Beach. I didn't know he was still kind of hanging around. As I mentioned, a lot of celebrities and amateurs play. Saw the pound-for-pound pound king, Canelo Alvarez, out there. Actually has a pretty good move on the golf course, so very fluid. So kind of like that right uppercut he likes to land. Uh, also at uh, Pebble, uh, Colt Nost was the on, is an on-course reporter for CBS, and I think he's the best on-course reporter in the game of golf that we have today. Former player. Good relationship with the current players. Knows what he's talking about. Funny. Relates well to the viewer. More Colt Nost, in my opinion, is going to be a good thing. So Colt Nost, best reporter in the game. Also this week, they had the Saudi Open or whatever that thing's called. Uh, I didn't really follow it much. Not, not for any particular reason, but I just didn't have to follow it. But Harold Varner made a 93-foot eagle putt on the 18th to win by one needed the two putt from there. And I think somebody said the two putt percentage from there was like six or seven out of 10 for PGA tour pro. And he just said, fuck it. We're just going to make it and head on home. Great celebration. So Harold Varner, the winner down at the Saudi open and Tom Hoagie, the winner at the Pebble beach pro-am back again this week. We got my man MJ. So let's head on over to 60 seconds with MJ. Hey everybody. MJ with another edition of 60 Seconds with MJ on Old Wall's House. So, not a very crazy week sports-wise. There's the whole Flores lawsuit, and the Pro Bowl, and golf is starting up. And, you know, there's there's always some busy stuff, the NBA and everything. But I'm going to switch gears a little bit because Pro Bowl sucks. There's not enough time for the Flores stuff. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit to the college basketball uh, Coach K getting his final win. I think you know. I think it's a big deal that got lost in the shuffle. Um, legendary coach kind of going out on top against a rival, which I'm a North Carolina fan, so I'm kind of glad to see him go. But that's besides the point. The other thing, betting. I mentioned it last week. I'm on a kind of a hot streak. Had a nice little same game parlay with Zach Levine scoring 30 points. Had 24 points going into the fourth quarter. He scores two. Wally, two. Bad beat. MJ gone. So yeah, let's piggyback off what MJ said there. He had a brutal beat. He sent me that a text message of the parlay he lost there. Just absolutely brutal. But the first thing he touched on was the Duke UNC game this weekend on Saturday. I did tune into that. Like he said, last game for Coach K at North Carolina in the Dean Smith Center. The Carolina faithful gave Coach K a warm welcome, I guess you could say. Uh, rained some booze down on him as he entered the building for the first for the last time in his coaching career. Other than that, not too much went wrong for for Duke and Coach K. They got out to an early lead, a big one too, and just kind of put their pedal on the put their foot on the gas pedal and just kind of went away with it. They got out. They were making shots. 
while they were making shots, UNC wasn't making shots. UNC was getting looks and just couldn't knock them down. And while Duke got those looks, they made about everything. I think in the first 10 minutes or so, they were shooting like 77% from the field, I believe I saw. So Duke just hammers North Carolina. Not much to be said here other than just an absolute drubbing and kind of a disappointing game to watch for a Carolina fan. And Duke looks Duke looks like they're a solid team. And North Carolina does not. North Carolina doesn't defend it very well, from what I can see. I've, I've only seen them play three or four games this year, but they don't defend it very well. They turn it over. They're not that great of a shooting team. So not, not a great recipe there if you're looking to be a successful team. So Duke runs away with it. One of the only thing, bright spots for North Carolina was Brady Manick. The goofy white boy out there was knocking down some threes and doing everything he could to keep the Tar Heels in the game, but alas, it wasn't enough. Coach K walks out of Chapel Hill in his final appearance there with a with a big win, and they will look to compete on the national stage this year, and I think Carolina will just be happy if they can make it into the tournament. Uh, also on the college basketball front, I watched the second half of the UCLA-Arizona game. A couple nights back, that was a fun game, much more competitive. I believe Arizona ended up winning by 10. UCLA had a couple chances to cut it cut it down throughout the second half, but just weren't able to, to get that one extra stop, that one extra basket they needed. So I believe those two were both ranked in the top 10. I think Arizona was 7, UCLA was 2 or 3, or I might have reversed that. But looked like two very good teams that also look like they can compete for a national title. So... Of, of the games I've seen, I think I've seen three national title contenders and then North Carolina. So hopefully there's there's good things on the horizon for North Carolina with new coach Hubert Davis, but that's yet to be decided, and I guess we'll just have to see where it goes. Now, our Flyers update for the week. Not much going on here, as I mentioned in the opening for the Flyers. It was the All-Star break, so they only played one game this week. It was a win, though. It was a win. They have won two games in a row now. They won on Tuesday with a 3-1 to win over the Winnipeg Jets. Again, two wins in a row. We are going for our third win this Wednesday against the Red Wings. We'll actually play the Red Wings again on Saturday. I think we're in the stretch where they've kind of put games back in and what was going to be the Olympic break to kind of make up anything that they had missed due to COVID issues. So, Flyers, two wins in a row. Chance for three in a row on Wednesday at home. And then hopefully a fourth, let's not get crazy though, but hopefully a fourth on Saturday in Detroit. Also this week for Flyers fans, Claude Giroux was named the All-Star Game MVP after he led the Metropolitan Division to the to the win in that little round-robin thing they do. The, I guess it's a little playoff, so they win both games. Giroux scores three goals, one in the first game and two in the championship he won a Honda Passport or a Honda Pilot. That's quite an interesting gift for somebody who makes multiple millions of dollars a year. So, hey, if you were looking for a Honda Passport or Pilot, Claude Giroux, you've got one now for being that All-Star Game MVP. So, and it kind of brings us to another thing about Giroux is, are they going to trade him? From what I've read, and again, remember, hockey, moron. Jordan, hockey, moron. So, just remember those things. But from what I've read and been looking at, Giroux still got enough in the tank, and obviously winning the All-Star Game MVP kind of shows that, that he's going to be sought after at the trade deadline here. 
And it, the way the Flyers' season has been going, it, it kind of makes sense that they may be open to moving him. I know he does have a no-movement clause. I assume that's just the same thing as a no-trade clause. So he has final decision on if and where he gets traded to. So it'll be interesting. You'd have to think if he does agree to something like that, he'd want to go to a contender. But Claude Giroux, your All-Star Game MVP. There'll be lots more questions about him later. Hopefully the Flyers can can get on what we call a winning streak. We haven't seen one in a while, but that would be three games in a row does equal a winning streak. Let's see if it can happen on Wednesday night. On to the most random segment in the podcast world. It's my passing thoughts for the week. This is just, you know, as usual, anything that goes through my brain throughout the week. And I got to thank a friend of mine uh, for turning me on to the Pro Bowl this weekend. I was just happily enjoying the golf when I was uh, asked if the Pro Bowl was going to be a topic on this week's podcast. Had not planned for it to be, and God, I think we'd be better off if it wasn't, but here we go. Holy shit, the Pro Bowl sucks. I turned it on. I think there were five or six minutes left in the game, and I was flipping back and forth between the golf, but good Lord, it's time to do something with the Pro Bowl. I mean, they're not even tackling each other remotely. They're just, like, kind of touching each other. I mean, I saw George Kittle one time. He was about to get touched and jumped up and kind of flew into him. They kind of tapped him, and he was down. Mac Jones, late in the game, kind of skirted. What would have been a tackle, and obviously they aren't going to hit a quarterback, but they I don't even know if they touched him, and they called that down. He ended up sprinting it out for the touch in his mind, what must have been the touchdown, and that was kind of fun. He did a little dance in the end zone, but good Lord. And and I know there's difficulties with having a an all-star game in a football season or at the end of the season. Nobody's going to want to go out there and risk getting hurt too much, but I don't know, man. Maybe it's... Maybe it's just time to do away with the Pro Bowl. I mean, maybe the, the players still like it, and I think people still tune into it, and it's still bet more than like a high-level high, high level college basketball game out in Vegas. So who knows? But I just thought watching, I was like, holy shit, this is just, it's just time to do away with this. This just looks terrible. So I, I thank my good friend Dakota Roof for turning me on to that game and having that sh- seared in my eyeballs. Um, also yesterday I was watching some downhill skiing, the giant slalom at the Olympics and no fucking thank you to that. Those people are going fast down that hill. And I watched, uh, the one, the one lady from America. Oh, uh, shoot. It's left my mind here. I think she was supposed to be good for us. She wiped out and that just looks brutal. I mean, a, it's cold out. You don't need to be outside when it's cold and B, those wipeouts look horrendous, so just not my cup of tea. I guess the only thing else to say about the Olympics is, man, it kind of feels dirty watching Olympics when they're in China. But I guess the problem is that not a lot of other places in the world are, are kind of wanting the Olympics other than, you know, kind of up-and-coming countries that maybe have a questionable, you know, record of human rights. And, hey, nobody's perfect, not trying to act like that. But, man, China feels a little dicey. But, again, it's tough to to get cities to want the Olympics. I've been reading a little bit of articles and stuff about it. I believe the last Olympics to to seek a profit, and this may be the only Olympics now that I'm kind of thinking about how I read it, was Los Angeles in 1984. And other than that, all these other cities, they lose, you know, millions, sometimes billions of dollars to host the Olympics. Um, the 1976 Olympics in Montreal, they just, they, it took 30 years to pay off that. They kind of told the, the people of the city that it was going to be, 
you know, somewhere in the range of $200 million and end up being a billion dollars that it cost them. So it, it's tough to get places to want to do these these Olympic events because it's going to be such a hindrance on the population going forward. So like I said, LA was the last one to, to make money doing it. And I read that they were the only bidder at the time. So their approach was that they weren't going to build a bunch of new Olympic facilities. They kind of went with what they had available in their current infrastructure. And, you know, with a lot of colleges, they've got the Rose Bowl, they've got the Coliseum, they were able to make it work. And, you know, going forward, all that stuff's still there. They got the new LA stadium. They've got colleges around to help house people. So it'll be interesting to see kind of the, the future of the Olympics. I know they've got a couple of them pegged out. It's back to LA in 2024, uh, Paris in 2028. So we'll see how it goes. And I'll probably catch up with some more Olympics along the way here in the next couple of weeks. Again, also last night, I, uh, I turned on for like the last 10 laps, which was not very long, of the, the NASCAR race in the Coliseum out in L.A. That was cool. Uh, they set up a quarter-mile track in the Coliseum. And in comparison, one of the smallest tracks, and I think it might be the smallest track that NASCAR goes to regularly, is at Martinsville. And that's, sorry, Martinsville. That's .53 miles. And their largest track is Talladega at 2.66 miles. So that quarter-mile track is half the size of the smallest track that they use in a normal setting. So it was really cool. Tight turns, not a lot of cars out there. The The guys in first were catching the tail end of the race. So like I said, I watched like the last 10 laps, I think, and it didn't take long because they were kind of whipping around that, that track pretty quick. But I thought it was really cool looking. And I'd be... I'd be way more into NASCAR, I think, if they did more kind of short track racing where there's a lot more, you know, bumping and grinding and stuff like that. And you now we want to talk about me being an idiot in hockey. I'm really an idiot when it comes to NASCAR. But I do normally tune into Daytona. I watch the, the first couple laps and then like the last 10 laps of that too. So that's in a couple weeks. So you'll probably get one more NASCAR update from me this year and then uh, might be few and far between. Also, uh, on my food tour of the world... Popeye's chicken is awesome. That is a great chicken sandwich. And, it, you know, if you're going to compare it to, I mean, you're comparing it to Chick-fil-A, right? I think the actual chicken at Popeye's is better. It feels like you're eating like a real chicken breast that's been breaded and, and deep fried, whereas you almost wonder at, uh, and I'm not trying to knock Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is awesome, too. And the Chick-fil-A sauce is a whole different level to it, too. But I don't know. The chicken just feels better at Popeye's. I think if I had to choose, I would choose the Popeye's chicken sandwich over the Chick-fil-A. But, man, that's a tough choice. The Chick-fil-A sauce is so good. But either way, Popeye's chicken, it's in the mix. If if you discount it, I, I, I got serious questions about you guys. Uh, a, a little follow-up from last week. I talked about how all the L.A. mayors and the governor of California and the San Francisco mayor and Magic Johnson were all in a booth at the NFC Conference Championship game, maskless. Well, somebody interviewed Eric Garcetti, the mayor of L.A., and asked him about it. And and this isn't verbatim. This is just kind of a, you know, not a quote for sure. So, But he said that it's okay. He just takes off his mask and then holds his breath so there's no risk. I mean, who the fuck do these guys think they are? Do they think the people they're talking to are stupid? Or do they just not care? Because they know that, you know, 40% of the people, and I mean, in Eric Garcetti's case, he lives in LA, so I mean, much more than 40%. they are just going to vote for him just because they're on their side. Like, the Democrats vote for the Democrats, the Republicans vote for the Republicans. But 
He holds his breath? I mean, come on. What idiot said, here's what you're going to say when they ask you about it. Say you hold your breath. Like, that sounds like it's a TV show and someone gets laughed out of the room when they say that. I mean, good Lord. Just just idiots. Also, on the mask, uh, the mask front, uh, Stacey Abrams, I believe she was a a candidate for the governor of Georgia a few years back and lost and is somehow still relevant. But she was doing an event where she was reading to kids. Well, she didn't need to wear a mask, but all the kids did. And she got to wear the mask so she could read the book or something and then pose for a picture maskless while all the kids are wearing a mask. So that's what these people who are part of the, the COVID regime think of all your, your kids. They, they have to wear masks, but they don't. So, all right, I'll get off the, my mask uh, my mask moment here. Um, in the boxing world, we had a just awful pay-per-view on Saturday night. I did not get it because it was bullshit that this went on pay-per-view. Keith Thurman, who was fighting for the first time in almost three years, beat Mario Barrios, who was fighting for the first time since he was knocked out by Gervonta Davis. Barrios and Davis fought at 140 pounds where Gervonta Davis came up from 135 to knock out Davis at the 140-pound limit of that fight. Barrios, again, now he moves up in weight to 147 to face Thurman, a former unified welterweight champion. And from what I've read, Thurman pretty much had his way with him throughout the fight, beat him up and bloodied him pretty good. So if Thurman can get himself a good opponent, I'll be interested. But asking people to pay $75 for someone who hadn't fought in 30 months and and Mario Barrios was just horrendous, and you wonder why people give boxing a bad name. So, also in boxing, uh, a fight that will be fun, and they're close to making this, I guess, is Arthur Betterbiev and Joe Smith are nearing a deal for the summer. Uh, that was reported by Mike Coppinger. Those two are title holders in the light heavyweight division, 175 pounds. Betterbiev holds two titles, Joe Smith holds one. Both of those guys have heavy, heavy hands. Uh, knock out of a lot of opponents. Better Bev has knocked out every opponent he's faced. That would be a fun fight to get made. And judging by kind of their their caliber, that would probably go on ESPN or ESPN Plus. So that would be a fun fight to get made. And it would be on affordable TV and would be a fan friendly fight. I hope that happens. The Washington football team has a new name, and they are the Washington Commanders. I don't know what's worse, the Washington Commanders or the Cleveland Guardians. Both of them are terrible. Just terrible. I, I, I like this. I, I saw a friend of mine comment this, so I'm going to steal this from him. He said that the Washington team should have went and been known as the Sentinels, uh, similar to the movie The Replacements with Keanu Reeves and Gene Hackman. I love it. I love that movie. They should have gone with the Washington Sentinels. That would have been awesome. And the Commanders suck, so anything would have been better. This week, I, uh, I those of you on the East Coast got hit with a big storm, and it, it kind of slid through the Midwest first. I got caught in the middle of that. I was driving back from Ohio for work and was stranded and eventually had to get the last hotel room in Conakee, Illinois, where I then had to wait two hours and 15 minutes for a hamburger from the hotel restaurant. So that was fun. What else do we got? Uh, some other NFL stuff, uh, Kyler Murray has deleted everything on his Instagram, so whatever that means. I don't know if he's pissed 
at the Cardinals and wants out. He's coming up for a contract extension next year, I believe, so very interesting there. Alvin Kamara allegedly has gotten himself into trouble. He, I don't know if it was a, a battery or hit and run. I didn't see the exacts, but it's no good, whatever it is, so we'll see where that goes. And the Texans, apparently their top two coaching candidates are Brian Flores, who is suing the NFL. I'm not getting into that. There's way too much in that. We'll, we'll follow up on that when they kind of come to some sort of resolution. And Josh McNown, who's never coached an NFL game in his life. So two top candidates there, guys suing the NFL and Josh McNown, who's never coached a game in his life. So I don't see where those could go wrong at all. And then kind of one of the last things uh, that popped up this week was Apparently, the Saudi Golf League is making offers to a lot of pros to come play on their thing. They've been investing in the Asian Tour, and Greg Norman's involved. Phil's talking about it like he, he kind of wants to do it, but kind of doesn't, and is bitching about the PGA Tour. But they've allegedly offered tens of million dollars to guys like Ian Poulter and Henrik Stenson, but have apparently offered $135 million to Bryson DeChambeau to kind of become the face of the tour. So we'll see what kind of comes from that. That is a lot of money. I think I saw somewhere maybe his career earnings are like 10 to $15 million on the PGA Tour. Now, obviously, you'd have to imagine he's going to keep stacking that up and he's going to be eligible for the PIP and get into the FedEx Cup playoffs, and he'd make a lot of money. But, man, $135 million guaranteed is pretty good. But getting in bed with the Saudi government seems like a, a questionable strategy at best. So we'll see what happens with the Saudi Golf League. Uh, a lot of those guys were down there at the Saudi Open, and you would assume they're getting massive appearance fees for that too. So we'll see where that goes. I, I just don't know what to think of it. I mean, $135 million, Jesus, that's a ton of money. But again, the Saudi government who have you know their own human rights questions on their record too. So that's all we got for Passing Thoughts this week. All right, everybody, closing time. Thank you again. Thank you guys so much for, for listening. I really appreciate it. As I mentioned, please share. If you, if, if you think it's a fun time to listen to this, please share it with your friends and family and whoever else may listen. Last chance for shirts. I'm going to get that order completely finished here this week. If you want one, $18. That covers the cost of the shirt and the cost to ship it. I'm not making any money off this at this time. Just want to get some shirts. And if you guys are interested in sporting some old Walls House gear, I really appreciate it. So we'll be back next week. We got Super Bowl reaction. It's actually the Phoenix Open next week. I said that last week at the end of the show and was wrong. So actually the Phoenix Open next week that will lead into the Super Bowl. So should be another fun show next week. We'll look forward to seeing you guys again. Again, thank you so much. I'm having a blast. I hope you're doing it too. Thanks for coming along the ride with me. This has been Old Wall's House. Peace.